What London Can Be is brought to you by London Community Foundation, an organization dedicated to improving communities across London and Middlesex County. Welcome to What Lending Can Be, the podcast where we navigate our shifting world, shine a light on the issues our city is facing, and explore the innovative Made in London solutions to critical challenges in our community. I'm Diane Silva, Director of Philanthropy at Lending Community Foundation. Today I'm joined by Andrew Fleet, Executive Director of Growing Chefs Ontario. We're going to talk about the innovative work they're doing right here in London, tackling food insecurity across the province. Hi, Andrew. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. Well, it's great to have you here. I I think Growing Chefs is a fabulous organization and more people need to know about uh, your organization. So us at Lending Community Foundation, we're very familiar with Growing Chefs. But for our listeners, can you introduce yourself briefly about what it is that you do at Growing Chefs and a little bit more about the organization itself and how it's different from other charities tackling food insecurity? Sure. So uh, my name is Andrew Fleet. I'm the founder and executive director of Growing Chefs Ontario. Uh, Our mission is to change the way that we learn about and develop healthy relationships with food. We do that by running food education programs, mostly for children and families, with dozens of schools and community organizations each year. Uh, We also run our own public programs out of our new facility at The Grove. Um, And all of our programs are designed to teach about food systems and ultimately to increase food literacy. And really what uh, differentiates us from other charities tackling food insecurity is is that our focus is on food education, um, and uh, as opposed to our primary focus being on food security or or getting people food who need it. So um, we approach food education by by aiming to increase food literacy through the delivery of the programs that use an evidence-based approach to improving uh, cooking skills, confidence in trying new foods, uh, confidence in preparing meals using whole ingredients, um, developing uh, positive food attitudes, developing a healthy enjoyment and appreciation of food, developing an understanding of the role that food plays in other cultures, um, and ultimately how our whole food system works, as well as how we as individuals rely on that food system, interact with that food system, and ultimately impact and shape that food system. Can you tell us how long you've been in our community for um, the gro- the growing chefs, growing not, chefs. Uh, not the Andrew Fleet, but uh, <laughs> Andrew Fleet with uh, growing chefs? Sure. We founded uh, in 2008. So we're approaching 15 years that we've been working on this. We started um with our in-school program was primarily what we did for the first few years. And as the organization has grown into, um, into the community, we've, we've filled a number of gaps that we found along the way, which is uh, why we started running uh, and developing community programs and ultimately our own programs as well. Right. So this is why I wanted our listeners to understand uh, the duration that uh, Growing Chefs has been around in our community and how we know by observing your work uh, that you've done a lot in establishing partnerships, uh, especially over the past couple of years. And you're really driving systemic change on a bigger scale, bigger than just here in our own community here in London. So is there anything that you're particularly proud of that you'd like to share with our listeners? Thank you. Yeah. Uh, I mean, first and foremost, um, we we were doing the math the other day and, and we have partnered with 
like we're approaching a hundred different organizations over the past 50 years um, across London and Middlesex, where we've helped to create food education programs for their clients or, or, or children. Um, most of the time traveling to their locations and bringing all the equipment and setting it up. Um, so really proud to say that we've helped so many different organizations and schools be able to um deliver programming to their to their clients uh over the years so definitely really proud of that but i think probably um the biggest thing that's happened especially since uh we received the community vitality grant a couple of years ago and built our new facility throughout the pandemic we had the opportunity um when everybody shifted online to the to kind of a virtual platform, not only to deliver programs virtually, which which really increased our reach and allowed us to work with new organizations and develop new partnerships across the province. Um, but probably the biggest one was we had the opportunity to work with the Ontario Edible Education Network and the Ministry of Education on um, writing and integrating food literacy into the new science curriculum, uh, which has been released for grade one to nine students all across Ontario. So what that means is that every student every year as a part of their science class um, will have to learn about the role that food plays and, and food systems play um, as they learn about these new science concepts. Um, so where we're going now is we're just finishing the last touches on translation stuff, uh, some uh, consultation with Indigenous communities and meeting accessibility standards. Um, but on uh, a number of resources and, and lesson plans that we've created. So these are training resources for teachers that are going to be distributed by the Ministry of Education in a package uh, for this new curriculum to help train them on teaching these new concepts that we've built into the curriculum, which is really exciting. So uh, Growing Chef's uh, material is going to be included in this larger package um, that will go to literally every elementary school teacher across the province. So this is a huge opportunity for us. We're so excited to see what partnerships and what impacts are going to come from um, being able to develop these resources. And, and that takes us from, you know, been very proud to say that we've um, consistently cooked with about 10,000 children and families a year across London uh, for the past six years now. Um, we've hit that mark, but this is going to take us um, way up to the next level where we're impacting uh, learning uh, outside of just our individual reach as an organization. And that's that's really exciting. And, and even more so, we're still working on the rest of the school curriculum too. So there's a push to integrate uh, food literacy across the entire school curriculum um, through what used to be known as Bill 216, which died, but it's still, um, it's it's got its zombie life now and it's working its way back through the legislature. And what it's uh, looking to do is, whether it's through language, math, history and geography or social studies, even art um, is integrating this concept of food literacy throughout the whole curriculum. And the, the reason for that is food's such an exciting and, and impactful common thread that you can weave through the subjects. It's just natural connections in almost every area. And it provides such a meaningful real life application for learning. Um, and it really, really resonates with students because it literally impacts their day-to-day -day, day -day lives and students understand that and it just gives them that context for like why they're learning certain things and how they may actually use it 
themselves and their lives. And it doesn't just feel like they're ticking a box or are doing a bunch of questions in order to memorize something um, to be able to write a test and then move on. Uh, it's, it's actually learning that they can see themselves using in their lives, which is ultimately uh, what we're trying to do. Exactly. And um, and like you said, it goes beyond just ticking a box and and what you would think of as just being food literacy. I remember you wrote a blog for us uh, for our vital signs report where you discussed the value of food and that it was just more than just the monetary value of how food can bring people together and connect people to culture. I wonder if you could unpack that a little bit more. Yeah, thanks. Um... I think, I mean, one of the fundamental issues with our food system in general, and ultimately why we see such high levels of food insecurity, especially in, in places like London, where there's really unprecedented access to food, like we have so much of it here. I, th I think the stats are, the most recent ones are, are we waste 40% of the food that we have access to, yet there's a considerable percentage of people um, and children in the community that, that go to bed hungry every day. And it's, I mean, explain that to a group of children and they'll, they'll be so quick to tell you it doesn't make any sense. Um, and, it, and I believe that um, helping people reconnect with the actual value of, of food is one of the ways that you help to solve that problem. It isn't until people really um, understand and, and fully appreciate the value of of what we have and what we have access to, um, that to me is the first step. And then being able to prioritize, making sure that everybody gets enough. And I mean, food is such a connector; it transcends language. Um, it like music; it exists. It like we rely on it. It exists in every culture. It doesn't matter where you're from. There are celebrations around food that that come out in those cultures. It it both defines culture and distinguishes um, cultures from each other, but at the same time provides these common threads that connect us all. Um, food is woven through our, our cultural celebrations and stories and histories, uh, and it has the power to bring people together and find common ground. And maybe most importantly, food is joy and pleasure, and it yeah, heightens and elevates those times when we all have opportunities to sit down and share food together. And there's a reason that, uh, you know, there are old sayings like, like breaking bread together that that come from this concept of, of, you know, human beings through history have always sat down and shared food together. And it's such a fun way to learn about other cultures and, and start to understand where they're coming from. Um, is to sit down and taste food that you've never tried before and then learn about how it was developed and what stories surround it or what what celebrations it's used for it's it's so powerful in that way but then there's also this other aspect of food too like food is one of our biggest economic engines in in canada it's such a huge part of our livelihoods and our economy um and then as well through our food choices it is one of, if not the biggest ways we as individuals and individual households impact the planet, um, both positively and negatively. So when you look at um, things we can be doing uh, from an eco perspective, uh, 
shifting and making adjustments in the way that we choose food that makes it to our plates is one of the most powerful and, and impactful things that we can do as individuals. So, and, and we haven't even talked about our health and what it costs us as a community or as a society to treat the symptoms of people's dietary habits. Um, so it's it kind of connects all of these things together. My mentor, um, Chef Robert Clark, who I worked with in Vancouver, when I, where I first got involved in the original Growing Chefs, he used to say, it's through our individual food choices that we find our loudest voices individuals for our local economy, for our planet, and for our health. Our food choices today, more than anything else we do as individuals, will shape the future health of our communities. And um, in a large part, Rob saying those things is is what inspired me to, to even get involved in Growing Chefs in the first place. Interesting. And so here we are in today's economic climate. Food costs have risen. The London Food Bank has seen an increase of 40% between August 2021 to August 2022. And so here we are talking about shifting priorities, you know, taking power over the you know, our food choices and all of that. But do you see this increase in cost is changing how people value food? And is it just something becoming harder to access? Yeah, I mean, you said it, we, we've been seeing this issue around food access, you know, slowly increasing over decades. Um, I can't imagine how frustrating it is for, I mean, when you talk to Glenn Pearson at the at the food bank, you can you can see his frustration more now even than than um than any time leading up to now because the the problem is is increasing exponentially and we're not addressing the root causes. And that's the um I think that's the the trouble is you're watching people um struggle and it's becoming harder and harder for so many people to access foods. Um I can only hope that these conversations around the value of food and, and around understanding how food systems work and really just connecting with food, when we make it as individuals more of a priority to connect with our food, it, that's the first step in, in prioritizing that connection for others and making sure that they have access. How can we ever expect to come together as a community and prioritize food equity and food sovereignty until we help um, connect with the value of food ourselves. Um, it is literally the fact that we can walk into those of us with means who are fortunate enough to have um, the ability to, to make choices with food every day. We can literally walk into our choice of dozens of stores that are with a short drive of our house and literally buy almost anything that we could ever want. It's so such a crazy concept that would have been so foreign to like 98% of people that have ever lived on this planet to be able to walk into a place and go, what do I feel like eating today? It's literally arguably one of the greatest achievements of, of human, of our like societal evolution. And so many of us take it for granted and just never really consider what that means and how much that's worth in the way that it shapes our routines and our and our lives and everything until we reconnect with that and really appreciate it yeah i just don't see us as a society prioritizing that access for others yet it's interesting because if you go to other cultures around the world 
where that connection with food is 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 at the center of your daily routines, your, our family structures, our um, yeah, like where where you just see food being prioritized more, you will find less consistently you will find less issues with food security because you will see those societies just go like it is unacceptable to have food available and yet have people go hungry so uh when we're working with our donors and fund holders uh, we can we encourage them to think about supporting organizations that are also not only just tackling frontline issues but that are also tackling more of the systemic uh, root cause of problems in our community. And often it takes time for people to fully appreciate these concepts. Um, you know, it, it, so often we see support typically going to things that are right in front and center in our faces, like homelessness. What sort of uh, challenge does this cause for organizations like yours, uh, Growing Chefs, when you're part of this greater food conversation? Yeah, it puts uh, it puts everyone in a tricky spot. I mean, since the very beginning, Growing Chefs has made an effort to um, try not to put ourselves in a situation where by us applying for or ultimately receiving funding, we could be taking it away from someone else who's also trying to address a different part of, of ultimately the same issue. Um, and it's a catch 22 because, uh, everything that growing chefs does is not going to be impactful if our participants are, are hungry and they can't learn and they can't, you know, wrap their heads around and, uh, what we're trying to teach them, or they don't see themselves as having access to the ingredients that we're showing them how to use. Um, but at the same time, if you don't address the issue of food literacy and our connections with food, you're never going to get rid of the problem that's that's creating all of this inequity around around food. So, um, but but the biggest problem for growing chefs is is that the fix to the issue around food literacy and and our connection with food is a long term fix. It's not something that can be. Um, it's not even something that you're going to see the start of those long-term benefits before five, six, seven, eight years. You, you'll start to see things moving in that direction. We're only now in the last three or four years, even though we've been working on this for 15, starting to see the impacts of what it is that we do. And we're starting to see that because we're routinely seeing children in their high teens come to programs and tell us about the impact that um, they felt when we came into their classroom, you know, 12 years ago when they were in grade one and grade two. Um, and we can start to see how the change in attitude and the change in, in food literacy is leading to different behaviors and different priorities once they're getting to a point where they're making food choices on their own. But there's no funding available for projects where, oh, yeah, we'll make a 10, 15, 20 year investment in your project. And I understand that. I understand how difficult that is when you see the struggles on every street corner right now. And you're seeing, you know, this high percentage of children that are going to bed hungry. I, I mean, does it make sense to pull money from those frontline services to, to give to the, the long term? But 
when you're never going to fix that problem, no matter how much you throw money at it without fixing some of these long-term issues, like again, around and around you go. Um, and yeah, it puts growing chefs in a difficult situation. That's why we've invested so much in developing social enterprise and why we've got to the point where we're generating over 50% of our own revenue, but there's still another 49 that has to be dealt with. And, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's challenging. You're touching on something that I feel it's important for donors to fully understand um, why sustainable funding is important. And um, so I kind of wanted you to go back and share an example of how the uh, Community Vitality Grant that LCF had given Growing Chefs back in 2020. How can you um, share how that impacted your organization, the trajectory of your organization, where it is today. And hopefully it'll inspire donors to think about, you know, committing to an organization a little bit, you know, for the longer haul too. So sure. go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. So um, we opened Growing Chefs headquarters. So our first standalone location in late 2016, early 2017, we opened. Um, it took us only about two years to reach full capacity at that place where we had wait lists for everything programs our social enterprise events we had outgrown the space we could see all of this demand and that there was so much more for us to do um but we didn't have that that space and we were delayed two and a half years from the time where we first developed the plan to to expand simply because um all of the resources that we had were going into scrapping to try and get that other 48% of funding year over year that we were doing. It, it's become so inefficient um, when you're putting a considerable amount of, of your resources. And we're a small team at Growing Chefs just into surviving into the next year. And then you and then you lose staff because they they start they stop seeing security in their positions and they they need to go somewhere safe and then you use more resources bringing in and training new people um when we received the uh, community vitality grant and we built our second location and we're able to like separate out what we do and and we had a, a programming facility that was actually designed to be a programming facility we started seeing efficiencies in our programs we that three-year investment alone um uh, saw the turnover in staff that we had drop significantly. Um, and all of a sudden, you start to see these long-term goals being achieved where, you know, the curriculum gets changed, where we are uh, have been abdicating for two years and working with the federal government on a national healthy school food program. Do you know we're the last G G7 nation in the world that doesn't have a national healthy school no. food program? Only one. Really? Just Canada. As uh, agriculture is what our second or third yes. GDP in the country, we don't have a national school food program. But the last couple of years, having capacity to dedicate to these other issues, we've got Ontario school curriculum change, we've got training resources for teachers across the province, we've got a national school food program coming with multi-billion dollar investment from the federal government that's going to be, um, we're working with the Ontario government on how to potentially figure out how to roll this out across Ontario. There's all of these like big long-term goals that start getting ticked. And it's because all of this energy that goes into year over year survival starts being dedicated to addressing these larger issues. And, and 
what's interesting about growing chefs is um, there is decades of research indicating the importance, the need, and what the outcomes will be if you address food literacy. We now have 15 years of example of, of um, yeah, example of uh, established operations. We've, we've shown that food literacy programs can be designed and implemented cost-effectively. Like we're talking less than 50% of of the cost of any other program that I've seen because of the way that we've built our um, operations model. We now have plug and play best practices from for every program that we run, where literally we could take all of the things that we have, give it to someone else who, who has those resources in their community, and they could plug and play those programs in the same way. Um, not only plug and play them exactly like we have in London, but they could um, shape them to where the needs are in, in their own communities. Um, everything that the research has said, we are have implemented and are ready to help implement further. But now that our community vitality grant is ending this year, we can see that we're about to dive back into the cycle of year-over-year uh, -year survival. And already we're seeing the efforts that the, and the time and energy that we have for these larger, moving the dial on this larger systemic issue forward are already starting to shift back to, um, are, are we going to be, are we going to make it through 2023? What does 2024 even on our radar? Like that's, that's where we head back into. So the gift of this past few years to be able to dedicate to those larger issues from the community vitality grant. I mean, you can see the impact and the fact that we're seeing these larger issues advance as quickly as we are with a three-year investment. Imagine what we could have, what we could do with a 10-year investment. Like it's, it's, um, it's heartening and encouraging, but it's also <laughs> incredibly frustrating. Oh, I'm, I'm sure. Um, you know, and Andrew, we've seen you since the beginning, our foundation. And uh, we remember when you were a small startup agency and now look at what you've been able to do to the, you know, national uh, conversation around food and how you marry education with research. Um, and I hope the listeners are inspired uh, to look into what Growing Chefs does and look into supporting Growing Chefs because I do see you being a major integral player in this overall food security system that we have. So kudos to you and thank you for being very upfront <laughs> and candid about your fear about where you're at <laughs> at this point in time. So I hope it does compel our listeners to want to support. Uh, finally, Andrew, what do you think Lenin can be and how do you think we can get there together? I think um, Lenin has a really cool opportunity to be a leader in addressing some of these issues that communities all across the country are seeing. And I think that there are um, a number of them that we see disproportionately higher in London for a myriad of reasons that we don't have time to go into, but it, it gives us the opportunity for others to look at us and see, I mean, London is, is, uh, um, such a, a neat 
community in terms of its size because we're we're too big to be small but we're too small to be big um so we get these little glimpses of these big problems in big municipalities and it it gives us the opportunity to to come up with innovative solutions that can and will work in other places there's a reason why like i grew up here london's always been known as a as a test market for new products um we have the opportunity to be the the test market and demonstrate solutions to some of these larger problems. Um, I'm going to speak to growing chefs specifically, although we could talk for a while about a number of things. Um, there are more people right now looking at the model that growing chefs has established in the work that we're doing from across the country than there are people looking at us locally. And I, I really hope that locally we get on board with initiatives like growing chefs that are demonstrating innovative solutions to long-term issues. Um, and if we can do that, I think there is an opportunity for us to establish London as one of the places you look to when you are trying to tackle something big that seems insurmountable and go, there's some really, really innovative stuff happening there that uh, that we should look at and pay attention to. And, and that's my that's my goal with growing chefs in the next couple of years is to um, not just help other people see what we've built here and see it as a potential solution for what they're experiencing in their own communities, um, but for people in London to look at it and go, wow, I'm really proud to live in this community that's coming up with these really out of the box and workable solutions to something that we've been dealing with for decades. Um, the solutions are there. We just need to believe in ourselves as a community. We need to support those initiatives in our community and then and then the rest will fall into place. Exactly. Well said, Andrew. And thank you so much for your time and for sharing about uh, Growing Chefs. And kudos to you and your team for all the work that you have done over the past 15 years and uh, and especially since 2020, you know, uh, you know, some some organizations could have really crumbled and you didn't during that time with the pandemic and everything. So kudos to you. And um, we look forward to continuing the conversation with you and seeing the work of Growing Chefs to continue in our community and and around the country. Thank you. Thanks so much for the opportunity to talk about this. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for joining us for this episode of What Lenin Can Be. Look for us wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about today's guest, visit us at lcf.on.ca forward slash what Lenin can be. If you like this podcast, tell a friend and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You'll find links on our website. Thank you again for listening to us.